What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio. My name is Dan and Maxim Chuck, and today we're going to be talking about eight reasons that you are not gaining muscle because muscle is so important. Muscle is a longevity organ. It's not just that thing that helps fill out your ass of the apple bottom jeans or helps to fill out the shoulders and make you know your shirts fit a little bit better. Muscle is something that is going to be required for long-term vitality so that we can stay mobile and stay strong and stay able to do things and capable and free until our older ages of life. Now, that's not how it started for me. When I was about 16 years old, I started to devote much of my time and research and uh, a lot of my, my focus throughout the day went into learning how to efficiently and quickly and healthfully build as much muscle as I possibly could because I was skinny and I was really... Um, I was really insecure about it, to be completely honest. I was always kind of made fun of for being the smallest guy on the hockey team. And I did, I was always, every time there was like an altercation on the ice and I was trying to move bigger guys in front of the net, I couldn't do it. I was always the weakest. So for me, it became really important to put on some size, to be able to feel capable in my body. And a lot of people are like that when they first start out too. So I started devoting so much of my time into learning as much as I possibly could. Now, because of that, I got a little obsessive because that's the way I am. Uh, when I find something that I like, I like to go all in. So as soon as I stopped playing hockey, I ended up starting to train as hard as I could in bodybuilding uh, to compete in men's physique competitions, which ended up doing very well at. In fact, uh, in one of my first shows, I uh, took first in my category. And at that point, I was about probably 19 or 20 years old. And I started putting on so much muscle in those first uh, two, three, and four years, it got to the point where people actually didn't believe that I was not a enhanced athlete. They thought that I was using steroids, even to the point where my dad was even being approached by people telling him that, look, man, I've taken gear before. Your kid is lying to you. He's definitely taking things. You should probably look at that for steroid abuse or whatever else they, they talk to him about. But quite frankly, that's not the truth. And even over the years, I've still had to constantly tell people and uh, battle against the thought that people think that I'm using performance enhancing drugs. But really what it comes down to is intelligent training, intelligent uh, approaches to muscle building. So today I'm going to talk to you about eight reasons that you are not gaining muscle. Now, honestly, there's probably like 40 or 50 reasons. I think this is actually more of a complex topic than reasons that you are not losing fat. So this might even have to be a part two at some point, but I'm going to go over some of the reasons that I just quickly jotted down tonight that I think uh, are, are more top level issues that I see people deal with and have dealt with with clients over the years. So let's get started with number one. Number one is your mobility and ability to stabilize your body is poor. But why does this matter? Why does your mobility and your ability to stabilize your body matter in gaining muscle? So here's a phrase that I, I learned years ago, and I think that people really need to memorize this each and every time they go to uh, do a workout, a resistance training workout, and that is that stability governs contractile ability. So the more that we can create stability in the body, the better that we can isolate and focus on specific muscles working. Now, you may have also heard the saying that you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. Now, what would happen if we tried to fire a cannon from a, a canoe, right? Well, it's wobbly, it's unstable. And if you fire that cannon, aka produce that force, you're likely to injure yourself. Now, stability can be external or internal. 
Now, an example of an external form of stability during exercise would be like machines. So for example, a hack squat machine, a hack in, a, in a hack squat machine, uh, your back is against the pad, your shoulders are securely placed under the pads, and your feet are planted on the surface underneath you. And from here, you're also able to drive your hips back into the pad to ensure that your hips, um, uh, like from your hips all the way up to your shoulders are pretty much locked down and stable. And Another example would be a leg extension machine. This might even be a better example because you're seated. There's handles on either side of you that you can hold to drive yourself down into the seat so you don't shoot up into the air when you start to do the actual extension. And there's also thigh pads that are holding your knees down from, again, shooting upwards when you try to lift uh, that lever. Now, these are examples of external stabilizers. However, you can't only rely on external stabilizers because what if you try to perform a free squat or a side lunge or any sort of athletic ability that requires internal stabilization? If you don't have the ability to internally stabilize your body, you're not going to move efficiently and you're likely to hurt yourself. Now, I see this all the time when I ask a client for initial um, uh, video analysis when they start to come train with me. So one of them is, for example, is a body weight uh, squat video. It's pretty typical, but uh, what I tend to see is that, the, the, you know, if somebody who is, does not have the ability to internally stabilize their body uh, or they do not have the ability to stay mobile or strong in the difficult ranges of that movement is usually the knees cave in, the torso excessively leans forward, the thighs fall inwards. And the moment they try to, you know, descend from that standing position, everything starts to go wrong. This are, these are kind of like kind of some of the clear signs of someone who has never practiced or built strength internally uh, to stabilize their body before they move. Therefore, they can't control the movement and the mobility in those difficult ranges. Now, a lot of people think this is like only for beginner lifters, but that is, it's not the case whatsoever. I've seen plenty of people who have been uh, lifting for many years, maybe have an innate ability to, pro to, to produce force. Um, and oftentimes they'll sit like on a leg press machine or like a plate load um, chest press machine, for example, they load up lots of weight. And on this externally stabilized exercise, they're very, very strong. But when they try to go transfer that to a free weight or like a free body motion, they either A, can't nearly use the same amount of resistance as the externally uh, stabilized version, or B, um, as they start to transfer, let's say, for example, from like a uh, chest press machine to a dumbbell, which uh, chest press, which is much more free weight, other than the fact that you're just laying on something, you know, they blow out their shoulder or they tear their pack. They hurt themselves when they transfer from the externally stabilized to something where they have to internally stabilize. Now, here's a visual for you um, for stability. It kind of helps to you understand like why if you aren't stable, you can't efficiently create muscle contractions, which is really what we need to do when we're exercising uh, for to isolate muscles that we're trying to specifically grow. Now, if I take a rubber band, which resembles a, a muscle fiber, right, a strand of muscle, if I hold that in one hand and I hold the other side in the other hand, I can kind of just freely move that band around and play with its shape and its angles. Now, those are your joints and your bodies connected in between there is the muscle. And if they're unstable, you can just move that freely. But that's not going to allow us to create tension uh, on that muscle. But if I stand on one end of it and hold it into the floor with my foot, and I take the other end in my hand, I'm going to pull that band up as high as I can. And it can only move so far before it's reaching its maximum stretch, I take it to its maximum tension.
then I return it back to its regular position. So if our goal is an effective muscle contraction to make the muscle as short and as tight as possible, um, for example, on a concentric range, if we look at a bicep curl, when you curl it up to the top as tight as you can, and then controlling it to its maximally lengthened range as we lower the dumbbell back down to the floor, stretching out the muscle, creating the micro tears in the muscle that will stimulate the muscle growth, I need to be able to place a maximum amount of tension on that band or muscle. And now an easy way, for example, like in that bicep curl, like I was just telling you about, if our shoulder is free and our elbow is free, both of those can kind of move freely. It may mean that I might not be able to get an efficient muscle contraction. But if I, for example, drive my elbow into the top of a bench or the wall or like a preacher curl bench, I've now stabilized one end of that. And that's going to help the ability now that I've stabilized, I have stabilized the canoe essentially, that I can create much more force out of that and I'm more likely to create more tension within that muscle. I've got all of my clients, they perform a primer phase for the first few weeks in order for them to learn how to effectively move, move first before we move into exercises that will later require more and more internal stabilization so that they can you know, relearn and redevelop neurological movement pattern, patterns and pathways and uh, kind of develop a foundation to which we can build on. So I hope that makes sense. What you want to take from that is that stability governs contractile ability. We first need to stabilize. And I'm going to talk about that more in another point. Next, we're going to talk about number two, stimulation, not annihilation. This is something that most beginner lifters fall into from time to time. And it's actually, and you know what, I, I, I take that back. It's not just beginner lifters, but beginner lifters start to love the gym. You know, in the first six months, you're more likely to see more progress than the entire uh, rest of your journey, just in like a, a time fashion, people respond very quickly in those first six months. So oftentimes, they might even hit the gym for one and a half to two and a half hours, because they absolutely freaking love it. Now the gym is fun, they're getting those newbie gains, and they don't want to stop. But similarly, a seasoned lifter who isn't having the same results as they did in their first six months, maybe they're five to 10 years in, um, they might now think that, you know, they think back to when they were seeing so much more progress. And now they think that, you know what, maybe I should go back to that more is better. And the only way that they can keep growing muscle is if they just do more. Now, in some cases, maybe you haven't been pushing yourself to the degree to which you are stimulating your body to change. However, most of the time, I would say a solid 95% of the time, this is wrong and not the case whatsoever. Instead of thinking more is better in the workout and more stimulus is going to trigger my growth, we need to think about doing more stimulus throughout the week. It's about frequency, not more within the one workout. Now, what I mean by this is that the typical muscle split that I see many people doing when they first come to me or all the bro and broettes <laughs> seem to be doing for years is the one to maybe two muscle groups per workout. And then each muscle group they train once per week, maybe the odd one they train twice. And then, you know, they kill it, they hashtag crush it in that workout. But here's the thing, is if you're doing that, you're wasting your time. Muscle protein synthesis, that is what you really need to know. Muscle protein synthesis is the time that your body is stimulating the response of creating new muscle tissue as a response to the adaptation to the stimulus that you've put it through. So I do a workout, I stimulate my body, my body goes, holy smokes, I need to adapt so that I can do that next time easier. So 
In a beginner lifter, that might maximally be only 36 to 48 hours, some of the science is shown. Now that's a long time. So it means if I do a workout, my body may actually stimulate muscle to grow for the next 36 to 48 hours. But in a seasoned lifter, a body that's had more and more and more time to adapt, it drops down to around the uh, 20 to 24 hour mark. It might even just be 18 to 22 hours if I remember correctly, but it's right around the one day ballpark range. So if you hashtag smash it and you won't be able to recover for the next six days, you're probably wasting many days in between there where you could be re-stimulating muscle growth um, responses. So instead, think about targeting a few key body parts per week, maybe training two to three to four times in those one or two uh, body parts, adjusting the volume and the intensity within the workout in order to still recover for the next workout that might be coming in, in two days, for example. Now, this will lead to far more muscle growth than one humongous stimulus in the session earlier in the week. And if we're only gonna do one per week. So instead, maybe it, let's say if your um, shoulders are a lagging body part, like for me, it was, um, if you do one hard workout a week, that's, you're missing a lot of time in there where you could re-stimulate it. Now for me, when I found my shoulders were lagging behind, for example, my arms, which seem to be very high stimulus and respond very easily, instead of doing one workout or two workouts per week, I've actually changed it so that every second day I train or stimulate my delts for about 30 minutes in a session uh, so that I can train them between three and four times a week. Now it might not feel like you're going as hard and you're not. And that's kind of the point. We don't need to annihilate the muscle. We just need to stimulate it. It's minimum effective dose. But the results will be far greater when you train a little bit more intelligently like this. Number three, you are eating like a newborn kitten. If you want to grow, you need to be eating in a moderate caloric surplus if your goal is to gain a noticeable amount of muscle. Now, this doesn't mean that you eat crap and we're going to be, quote unquote, dirty bulking by, you know, pounding back pizzas and all that stuff. Uh, you should still make a focus by, you know, removing all of the things we always talk about, the inflammatory oils, the packaged and processed foods, the low cut qualities of meat, excessive sugar, and so on, so on. But your body does require adequate nutrition and the building blocks for growth in order to get the results it needs. So speaking of building blocks, protein is a critical muscle building block. So aiming for one gram per pound of body weight per day is a great goal to have. I personally weigh about 190 pounds, fluctuate between you know 190 and 195. So to make it easy for me, I simply aim for 200 grams of protein per day. Now, there is a little bit of a caveat to this, and I would make an exception. Uh, the holistic nutritionists around the world may slightly cringe at this, but if you are a beginner lifter, I would actually make an exception to this rule and recommend that you take between 1.2 and 1.5 grams per pound of body weight per day for the, six, uh, the first six months of your training if your goal is to rapidly gain as much muscle as possible. This is when your body is the most responsive and oftentimes even if you are not eating in like a, a caloric surplus people will still see quite 
uh, rapid growths in muscle. A lot of this is likely neurological. The body has never seen this sort of stimulus before, and it needs to drive adaptation quickly. However, if you are for a maximum, maybe six months or so, going to increase your protein even higher than the, I would say, safe and recommended goal for the rest of your life of approximately one gram per pound of body weight per day, I think you will see even greater benefits. And I don't think this is going to put undue stress on your internal organs um, if you're only going to be cycling in that much protein for a six-month period. Number four, on that same note, if you want to make sure that you're eating in a caloric surplus, you need data. I mean, you don't need it, but it would be really, really helpful if you are tracking it. So if you're not tracking or you haven't built a system or a schedule of eating into which you are eating enough, you're probably not going to build muscle. Um, so find out what you're eating right now, calculate your basal metabolic rate. There's lots of websites and calculators where you can just very simply type in your numbers and it'll calculate your estimated basal metabolic rate for you, uh, which is how much energy you need to consume on a day-to-day -day basis. And then put in a, uh, uh, in place an, an eating plan to make sure you're eating above that. Now, when I say just eating above that, I don't mean you know, a random number, I would say a good rule of thumb is approximately 20 calories per pound of body weight per day. I found this to be over the years, a good range for the average person who doesn't work an overly physical job. For example, somebody who's, you know, training, uh, you know, six days per week, and they work a desk job, for example, maybe they walk their dog every day. Um, this doesn't usually lead to an excess in body fat stores in the process of gaining muscle, they can usually stay quite lean or relatively lean at approximately 20 calories per pound of body weight and at the protein requirements that I gave you in the last tip, uh, given that they are, for example, metabolically flexible, um, they don't have any underlying issues with insulin, and medically they are sound, I would say. Um, so again, that's a very general rule, and it may not work for everybody, but it is a general rule based on somebody who is um, kind of within those guidelines. You may have to ch uh, change it and adjust it for yourself, because keep in mind, a person who is, uh, for example, on their feet all day, um, and physically active at the job will require more. And if you do have questions, always talk to your doctor first. Um, nothing I'm saying is um, a prescription or I'm telling you to do it. It is just advice from my experience. Number five, it's not what you eat, it's what you absorb. I would highly, highly, highly recommend anyone who is increasing their protein intake to invest in a high quality proteolytic enzyme blend. Why? Well, with all the pesticides, the artificial ingredients, the contaminants in food uh, and our water even as well, the breakdown of the intestinal lining and gut permeability, age-related enzyme downregulation, and so many more things, people are not absorbing the highest amount of protein and nutrients from their food that they can be. And if undigested protein begins to build up, it can cake up within the intestinal tract, blocking amino acid absorption. Amino acids are the building blocks of the protein, so blocking protein absorption. So for me, I use masszymes by bioptimizers uh, to help kind of boost the absorption of certain vitamins to increase, you know, the joint protecting benefits that also come from that. It helps to repair a damaged intestinal wall. This is, you know, where most of the absorption problems do occur. Uh, it helps to improve immune function by helping clear undigested and rotting protein that's allowing bad bacteria to thrive. And given all of those things, it also improves your mental clarity and more. So we do have a discount code with the company since so many of our clients know and love their products from, you know, the magnesiums to ugh, tons of their products. We freaking love these guys. So 
Check out the podcast notes linked below for a link to MassZymes. I'll just link directly to it and use code EMBODIED10 for a little discount. Number six, your training execution sucks. Now, this might sound harsh, but I literally go up to people in the gym who are lifting like a pro and compliment them on how well they're lifting because it's that rare that I see someone who has form that isn't average or all the way to utterly abysmal. Um, you might be in the gym and you might be working hard and you might you know, hit it every single day, but your actual execution of the exercises you're performing is garbage. And guess what? This is 99% of people. And I'm not saying this in a condescending way to be an asshole. I'm saying this because my goal is really to be so blunt with you because I'm telling you that every single person is leaving potential on the table. That's potential for progress, which is missing because they're skipping over arguably the most important aspect of stimulating a muscle adaptation response in the body. In fact, if your exercise execution is poor, that should excite you because you'll realize how much growth you still have on the table. And guess what? While I'm here in Texas, I have the luxury to stay and train with a celebrity trainer who's worked with literally some of the best bodies that have ever walked on this earth. Um, his name is Justin. Shout out to Justin Lovato. He's killing it. And we're building an amazing um another business that I can't wait to tell you guys all about. So we're going to have on back on the podcast again soon to talk about it. But while I'm down here and, and him and I are training together at his place, um, he's been able to pick apart some of the things that I'm doing and create little tweaks in my training as well. So there's nothing that we all can't work on and get a little better at. However, I would say the majority of people do need to put more time and studying into the execution of the exercises that you're doing. And there's nothing I can tell you on this podcast that can help you in this area other than to give you a few key points for you to continue to uh, memorize and bring into your sessions. So remember this acronym, SSM, set up, stabilize, then move. Most people do the opposite. First, we must set up the exercise correctly to our body. So yes, not all exercises are for everyone. And as we all have different body shapes, therefore require different setups for each exercise. Like for example, a person with a long femur may have to perform a squat differently than a person with a short femur because mechanically the person with a long femur will have to lean farther forwards, therefore leading to a higher percentage of like a low back strain. So I have to change the exercise for the person who just is has naturally a long femur. Not everybody can squat the same way. Similarly, a person with a large chest cavity, for example, oftentimes people born uh, or have ancestry in higher elevations, they'll have uh, larger chest cavities. Uh, a person with a larger chest cavity will um, be activating a completely different area of the chest as compared to somebody with a flatter, more slender rib cage who may be trying to hit the same muscle area. So the exercise and the setup may not be the same, if even applicable whatsoever from person to person. So unless you're going to work with a highly trained professional, because I promise you, <laughs> I may, I might even take that out because I don't even think nine out of 10 trainers even understand this. Um, you, I think a lot of the time, most people really have to do take it upon themselves to learn or to hire a qualified coach. So again, getting back to the acronym. So first, after we set up, then we need to stabilize. Now let's take a look at a bench press, for example, right? People lay down, they lift the bar off the rack and they press. Or instead, we can set up by lying down, bringing the feet back as far as we can until the quads get tight. 
the hamstrings activate, the glutes activate, which starts to uh, force our hips up. And as our hips start to come up off the bench, we then have to engage our abs to pull them back down. And now we've essentially got a stabilized body because all of these muscles are tight and hard as a rock all the way from like our mid torso down. This is fantastic. Most of the time people get happy feet when they're like sitting on a bench and their legs kind of just flop all over the place. Now we've created a strong and sturdy board from the mid torso down. Next, all we have to do is lift the bar off the bench, retract our shoulders back and down, pinch our shoulder blades together and then press them down. And now we've essentially got a stable body all the way from the shoulders down to the feet. This is a proper setup. This is one of the ways that we can keep our shoulders healthy, but also be able to generate more force output when we actually go into the pressing motion and isolate our chest better. Now, after that, there's many more things like developing mind muscle connection and a million other small details. But what you need to know is that execution matters, which is all why all of my clients have the option to send me uh, videos where we can critique and adjust their form. Now, number seven, I'm actually going to combine number seven and eight, because we did talk about this on every single podcast ever, and especially the fat loss one, this was also brought up. So stress and inflammation, you know, inflammation causes stress within the body, and then it comes in many different forms within the body influenced by like a wide variety of factors, such as uh, environmental factors like the air quality, pesticides in our food, um, water toxic uh, plastic chemicals like phthalates and BPAs, you know, crappy food additives, or like the typical ingredients that are often found in like prepackaged, you know, pre-made convenience foods and generally processed foods such as inflammatory oils like seed oils and vegetable oils, uh, other things such as gums and thickeners uh, such as xanthan gum and carrageenan can all cause digestive distress. Uh, alcohol is another one on the list. It's literally a neurotoxin. And Another area of inflammation that people often miss is food allergies. You know, if you're allergic to a food and you keep eating it, it's going to cause inflammation and inflammation, which is inevitably going to create stress within the body. These things are going to hinder everything, including helping you grow muscle. So if you want to see like a crazy difference in one month uh, without changing anything else other than this one tip, only consume whole foods, nothing processed. And when I say that, Usually people think chips and candy, but let's take a big step further and, and just say that anything that humans have made or, you know, put their grimy little hands on uh, is changing it from its original farm. So if only for the next month you ate meat, vegetables, you know, olive oil, salt, I can almost guarantee that your body will respond with more energy, you know, a better ability to focus and perform. Your hormone profiles will probably improve and your sex drive will increase. Your inflammation will also decrease and you're likely going to see uh, like changes in your body composition um, that you, you know, you've probably been looking for, whether that's fat loss or muscle growth, all of these things are going to be important. Lastly, when it comes to stress, you always, we talk about this all the time, so I'm not going to go into it, but you got to get control of your mental stress as well. I could probably add another 80 reasons of why you're not gaining muscle because there's so many things that we can get into, but I think this generally uh, covers some of the biggest reasons. The only thing we didn't get into are like hormonal profiles. I think that could also be a bigger thing, especially as people are aging, but I would say some of the low hanging fruit was covered in this podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for more, share it with a friend. If you think they will also benefit from it and give us a five-star rating on Spotify or iTunes, because that is going to help us reach more people and provide this excellent information to more and more individuals who are trying to better their life. Thank you so much for listening to Embodied Wellness Radio, and I will see you next time.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any link materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.